This episode of the Safina Society podcast has been brought to you by two of our sponsors, Mecca Books. They're an online Islamic bookstore. And the second is Irada Arts. They're a company that provides beautiful Islamic wall art. You can find Mecca Books at meccabooks.com and you can find Irada Arts at iradaarts.com. That's I-R-A-D-A-A-R-T-S.com. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody. You're listening to the Safina Society podcast. We have with us today a very special guest. Uh, we have somebody who is a, a, a massive and a major North American scholar. Bifadlillahi subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is well respected across all the platforms and all of the opinions and manahij and madahib. And he's also a neighbor. He lives two towns over. His name is Dr. Hatim al-Hajj. I'm sure that for most of you, he needs no introduction. Maybe for some of you who are more uh, casually dabbling into uh, Islamic uh, podcasts and blogs and, and websites and whatnot, may not have heard of Dr. Hatim al-Hajj, but well, today you will. And today's topic will, uh, after discussing some of his own uh, personal uh, background and past, our topic is the Hanbali Madhab. Dr. Hatim al-Hajj is an author and he's a scholar. He's a medical doctor as well, but being that he is an author and a scholar, he this podcast will take on the form of a book. And this uh, chapter one will be the founder of the Hanbali Madhab, his time and context uh, and personality and his stories. Then we're going to go to the technical details of his usul and how they differed in comparison to the three schools before him. Chapter three will be the Senad. As you all know, a madhab is not just a set of ideas, it's a lived tradition, generation after generation, uh, until today. And only four of these schools still exist that, that, that have not died out. Generation after generation has been passed on and been practiced in the community. We're going to talk about what a lot of you want to hear about, and even some of you are going to get upset at me. Because predominantly, not predominantly, Safina Saidi is like a declared Ash'ari and Maturidi institution. And you're going to say, why do you have an Athari and blah, blah, blah. You're going to see why. Because here in America, we're not the same as some other countries. We're at each other's necks. We actually are trying to make, to live in peace. And we are living in peace. And Dr. Hatim al-Hajj in New Jersey is one of the, uh, it really tri-state area. And maybe America uh, uh, entirety, entirely. It's one of the forces of uh, bringing the civility and even mahabba to the discourse. So we're not at each other's necks at all. And when you actually like somebody, you want to find a reason why you actually don't really disagree that much. Right? When you like somebody because they treat you well. Then we're going to look at the fiqh and the tasawwuf and al-amr bil-ma'roof wal-nahi an al-munkar. Right, which is very important. Al-amr bil-ma'roof al-munkar in the uh, and of course the tasawwuf element. You might be surprised that there is a tasawwuf element in the Hamdi school. Of course, there is, and even Dr. Hatim teaches some of the books of what we would call Ahl al-tasawwuf uh, in his masjid, which is a masjid al-wali, which is a good name to have. Okay, so Dr. Hatim al-Hajj personally is from Egypt, studied extensively in Egypt, and let's turn it over to you. So you could tell us a little bit about your studies in Egypt. First of all, welcome uh, to the Safina Society podcast. It's an honor for us to have you. 
and let's get straight to your background in Egypt, who you had studied with, and how, how did you, was, is, are you coming from a family of knowledge, or is this something that you brought to the family and something new? for the introduction and the kind remarks. No, I don't come from a family of knowledge in Egypt. Uh, my grandfather uh, was, to a great extent, knowledgeable. He uh, was a Dar army, uh, like a graduate of Dar al in Egypt. Uh, he was not an Azhari. Uh, his uh, basically main strength was in Arabic. Uh, however, uh, his children did not uh, particularly pursue Islamic studies or even Arabic studies. All of them, uh, they pursued more secular studies. And my father was an army officer, and uh, he uh, was not uh, particularly known for his knowledge. Uh, in fact, uh, growing up, and uh, this is not to detract from my father or anything, but uh, I was the one uh, who uh, convinced my father of uh, many things, where, mm. you know. And, and this is in Cairo? Well, I was born in Cairo. We moved at, uh, when I was only three months of age, to Alexandria. Uh, mm. Because my father, as an army officer, he used to move all the time from place to place. Uh, so we moved to Alexandria when I was three months old, and then I lived all my life in Alexandria. So, so I am from Alexandria. And then, what made you start pursuing? Since you don't come from a, a family of knowledge, there's sometimes something similar to a conversion. People sort of getting a, a flip, a switch flip becoming uh, interested in knowledge and they get a ba'ith that just drives them uh, tell us what you're what made what moved you to start studying so like I, you know I lived in Alexandria but uh, my grandfather uh, moved back my grandfather was like uh, you know like a teacher and uh, he taught Arabic and uh, he uh, basically ascended up the ladder in, in his profession. And, but after he retired, he moved back to a village in El Buhaira, which is, uh, you know, a governorate in Egypt. Um, so, it, you know, Shabur, name of the village. Uh, I used to visit my grandfather in the summer. And uh, my grandfather was uh, particularly religious, uh, you know, his, you know, Many of his children were not particularly that religious, but my grandfather was particularly particularly religious, and they they would even wait for him. There was a masjid across the street from uh, his uh, his house, and they would wait for him. Uh, they would never make the ikama without him being present, mm. uh, and he and he would take me with him. That that is very early on in my life. Uh, I liked that atmosphere. Uh, I was missing that atmosphere, you know, in Alexandria. Um, so when I was, uh, and, and, and then in Alexandria, I started to basically see people in white robes. Uh, that is when uh, basically Salafism was uh, uh, growing uh, in, uh, in that part of the world. And I started to see people with big beards and white robes. and. 
Uh, also, sort of like white uh, headgear, whatever they wore. And it, it just, uh, you know, being that it was different from the rest of the environment at Alexandria, um, I became attracted to them. Uh, and uh, I started to follow them and go pray uh, at the masjid where, you know, the majority of those people with sort of the, the white robes and sort of the, the white attire. I uh, used to pray, and they used to call it Masjid al-Sunniyin or Masjid al-Sunniyya, depending on, you know, people. Uh, so, you know, I, when I started at age nine, and then I, I never quit uh, thereafter. I, uh, my, you know, my relationship with Islam was uh, through uh, my grandfather and, uh, you know, other family members, yeah. but. Uh, when I was, yeah, at nine years of age, I started to go to that masjid and I started to all, uh, all the sort of Jama'a prayers in that masjid and they had a great deal of, uh, they put a great deal of emphasis on uh, basically teaching uh, and I became attracted to that as well. Who were some of the uh, prominent leaders and shiuk of that, of that center? You know, it was not in that particular center that you'll hear of like prominent leaders in Shiuch, but uh, there were, uh, you know, nearby, we used to move around and we used to visit other centers. That particular center does not have very prominent uh, uh, teachers or Shiuch, um, but when we visited other centers, we would go to Ansar al-Sunnah, like Sheikh Abdelaziz Baramawi, and, and others, and we would go to what is called Madrasa Salafiyya at the time. Now it became called, it is now Dawa Salafiyya, and Sheikh Muhammad Ismail al Muqaddim was, you know, was one of the most prominent figures. And in fact, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Ismail al Muqaddim. Is the one who introduced the, the Shafi'i school to to us, um, because uh, he uh, believed that you know fiqh should be studied according to uh, a madhab. Um, so after you know I studied Sabah al-Salam and Night al-Autar with different people, uh, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Ismail Muqaddim told us uh, uh, these are not fiqh books. It's good that you studied those books, but these are not fiqh books. Uh, and then, so uh, he basically told us, "Well, well, take this one, Kifayat al-Afiyar, it's a Shafi'i uh, book, and let's start from here." Uh, at the time, I was about 19 years, and that's my my first time I basically uh, got introduced to a uh, like a Fiqhi type book. And so that so it's fair to say that you started off studying Shafi'i fiqh. Did that continue, or did you eventually uh, study a different fiqh? Honestly speaking, I, I was 18, not 19, when uh, when, that, uh, when uh, I started to, to study Shafi'i fiqh. But uh, uh, up until 23, uh, I was sort of Shafi'i only, and then I became Hanbali also, and then I decided that, you know, I just have to choose, and I chose that. You know. 
Okay, so in that time, even though these masajid were called Ahl Sunnah or Salafiyah, but there was a teaching, they were teaching the Madhahib. They were teaching the Madhahib, uh, not all of them, certainly, the, 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 because there are different uh, sort of uh, types uh, of Salafis. So not all of them. Some were more committed to, you know, like teaching fiqh from Salam and Nail al-Awtar and books of that nature, uh, which are great books, I, 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 you know, but it, they're just not uh, uh, fiqh books. They are fiqh yeah. hadith books. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but uh, you know, I joined the Ma'ad al-Furqan when uh, I was... 18, and uh, Sheikh Muhammad Ismail was one of the people who taught at Ma'ad al-Furqan, and the first batch that joined the Ma'ad al-Furqan at that time in Alexandria, uh, uh, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Ismail introduced that book to us and told us that, you know, you, 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 it's fine, uh, you, you want to continue to have uh, respect for evidence and hadith and so on and so forth, but you do need to study fiqh from okay. fiqh books. Now, um, if uh, someone were to tell me in the Maliki Madhab, we could say if you study the Ashmawiyyah and Akhdari and Ibn Ashir, that's your beginner's level. You then can study Risalat ibn Abi Zayd, or you can go to Aqrab al-Masalik, and then you finish with Khalil, Mukhtasar Khalil, and that's the mountaintop and the final qawl, and it goes into all the different qualifiers and, and details that are needed, and the hawash and the shuruhat and hawashi cover it. So it's a pretty simple list, obviously not simple to cover, but uh, it's a simple list of what's the three or four levels of this method. Can you tell us in a nutshell, uh, 60 seconds, what are the titles and what's the list, the, the ladder of the Hanbali method? Uh, Ibn Qudama uh, uh, authored four books. Uh, Ibn Qudama al-Muwaffaq, rahimahullah ta'ala, the great Imam, uh, Shaykh al-Madhab, authored four books. Uh, they are considered sort of four different uh, levels. Uh, Al-Umda is, is the first one. It doesn't have any uh, sort of... Uh, the variant reports uh, or positions. It only has one position, uh, that's Al-Umda. And uh, then you will have Al-Muqna, uh, which is the next level. Uh, he mentions uh, more than one report, uh, but not too many. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, also it doesn't have Istidlal, Tadlil or Ta'lil. It doesn't have the evidence, it just has the rulings. And then he wrote Al-Kafi, which is the third level, and uh, it, it does have some uh, Tadlil and Ta'lil. And then he wrote Al-Mughni, which is a comparative fiqh book that uh, is not only ours, although it has a, a, an obvious Hanbali leaning, uh, but it is considered a, a comparative fiqh book. It is a book that is highly prized by scholars of all Mazahib. You know what Al-Azim Abdu'l-Salam said about the, this book? Imam Al-Azim Rahimahullah Ta'ala said that I, I did not, uh, you know, find that, uh, I did not feel comfortable giving fatwa until I owned a copy of Al-Mughni, and he considered it with Al-Muhalla to be the greatest books ever written. Uh, 
so uh, these are four different levels. Uh, but honestly speaking, that is Imam Al-Qudama belongs to Al-Mutawassateen, uh, which is the intermediate layer in the Madhab. We have the earlier scholars and then the middle uh, layer and then the latter uh, scholars of the Madhab. Um, for the latter scholars of the Madhab, the, the books that they advise people to start with uh, would, would not be those books, but they usually, it is Zad al-Mustaqna or Dalil al-Talib. Uh, Zad al-Mustaqna was written by al-Hajjawi, rahimahullah ta'ala, who died in the year 968 after the Hijrah. And uh, I would use only the Hijri calendar. People, the students of knowledge should use the Hijri calendar. Those who cannot relate to it, they can roughly add 600 years and they'll not be too far away. Uh, so Al-Hajjawi, who died in the year 960 after the Hijrah, Imam Qadama died in 620 after the Hijrah of the Prophet and Hajjawi died in the Hijri years uh, 968. He wrote Zad al-Mustaqna and he wrote a book called Al-Aqna, which is not a, a book that the, uh, the students of knowledge are advised uh, to go to, but uh, it is an, a very important book and we may come to it when we, if you, if you ask me about you know, how do you figure out the authorized position in the madhab? We may come to it later. Uh, but Zad al-Mustaqna uh, by Imam al-Hajjawi or uh, Dalil al-Talib. Uh, and Dalil al-Talib was written by uh, Sheikh Mar'i ibn Yusuf al-Karmi, who died in the year 1033 uh, Hijri. Uh, uh, these are books that uh, people usually advise the beginners to start with. I personally and some others feel that Al-Umda by Ibn Qudama, if you are able, because it is very uh, lucid and, and uh, like the language of it is, is very uh, simple language. Uh, uh, some still prefer Al-Umda for the beginners, along with uh, basically uh, uh, like some hashia or marginalia or footnotes and side notes to point out uh, the positions of Al-Umda that uh, are not necessarily adopted as the Mu'tamad or the authorized uh, position in the Madhab. And in my book, I basically pointed out all of them. Uh, they are about 120 some uh, positions. Uh, okay, and then uh, so those are the in beginner books. And what did you say is the what is the Mukhtasar Khalil of the Hanbali Madhab? Did you say it was it's still Ibn Qudama? Mukhtasar Khalil of the Hanbali Madhab because it, it is a little bit different. Although there are a lot of similarities between the Maliki and the Hanbali Madhab, because the Asma'a or the Sama'at of Ashab and you know Ibn Wahab uh, Asim. Uh, then Suhnoon and Il-Utbi, uh, the, 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 they brought all of this together. For Imam Ahmad, you'll find the same process taking place also. You will find the Masail uh, of Imam Ahmad, 
uh, written by his two, two children, Saleh and Abdullah, and Al-Kawsaj, and Abu Dawood, and Ibn Hana, and Harb al-Kirmani, and others. Uh, then came uh, Al-Khalal, uh, Abu Bakr Al-Khalal, and brought all of this together uh, into one uh, book, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, we don't have all of it, but, uh, you know, the earlier Hanbali scholars had it, alhamdulillah, and benefited from it. Uh, uh, but but that uh, but that became sort of the the main book of the Madhab, and then came Ghulam al-Khalal or Khalal's boy, Khalal's student, that is Abu Bakr Abdul Aziz, and al khiraqi and each one of them uh, wrote uh, books. The most famous one is Mukhtasar al-Khiraqi. Khiraqi died in three. 34, uh, and uh, al Khalal died in 363. Khalal himself died in 311. So, Al and uh, and uh, Abu Bakr Abdul Aziz Ghulam al Khalal, uh, they distilled the the, the Madhab. Al uh, Khiraqi became more famous, and it became like. Uh, uh, so al-Kharaqi mm-hmm. to us is maybe like Ibn Abi Zayd, like al-Hakim al-Shahid for the Hanafis, like al-Muzani for the Shafi'is, and Shafi'is have a little bit, it's a little different for them, because Imam al-Shafi'i himself mm-hmm. wrote his madhab, and al-Kharaqi to us is like al-Muzani uh, in the Shafi'i madhab. Uh, so Mukhtasar al-Kharaqi became the, the, the basically the the uh, sort of the object of Hambari care and attention and uh, until uh, Ibn, uh, Ibn Qudama uh, came around and wrote Al-Muqna' uh, which became the most sort of important book in the Madhab. Everything that came after the Muqna' is dependent on the Muqna' uh, to some extent extent. Uh, you could you could say that you know um, that the Iqna, but let's say that Al Muqna was the basically the the main book uh, of the Madhab after Al Khiraqi, uh, and no one would disagree about the central importance of Al Muqna in the Hanbali Madhab. Later, people can talk about, you know, different books and different mutun. We have Muntaha al-Iradat and al-Aqna. These two books are extremely important. Uh, you know, Muntaha al-Iradat was written by an Egyptian scholar called al-Futuhi or Ibn al-Najjar, who died in 972 after the Hijra. And al-Aqna was written by uh, Al-Hajjawi that I mentioned before, he wrote also Zad al-Mustakna. Muntah uh, al-Iradat, these two books, like if you ask Hanbalis, how do you figure out the authorized position in the Madhab, they'll tell you if Muntah al-Iradat and Al-Iqna agree, that is the authorized position. If they disagree, 
if one of them mentions a position and the other one basically does not address it, mm. then certainly the, that is the position in the madhab. But if they both mention it and they come to disagree, then we have two different schools. Yeah. Some, pe some people will say, take Montana al-Iradat over al-Iqna'a. Some people will say, no, let us find some other way uh, to figure this out. Some will say, take Sheikh Mar'i al-Karmi's uh, tarjih, uh, or basically uh, whatever Sheikh Mar'i favored in his book, Ghayat al-Muntaha, in which he brought al-Muntaha and al-Aqna'a together. Uh, and that would be the, 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 the Mu'tamad of the Madhab. Some will say, go back to al-Mardawi, Munaqah al-Madhab, Al-Alam al-Mardawi, who died in 885 after the Hijra, and take what he said in Tanqih, for instance, uh, which is based on al-Muqna. So I, I was talking about al-Muqna, and I branched off to talk about Muntaha al-Iradat and al-Iqna uh, as the two books for the latter Hanbali scholars that are most important. Uh, so that I could go back and say that Muntaha al-Iradat is called Muntaha al-Iradat fil-jam'a bayna al-Tanqih wal-Muqna wa ziyadat So Muntaha al-Iradat is a book that brought together Al-Tanqih uh, by Al-Mardawi and Al-Muqna' by uh, uh, Ibn Qudama and uh, so, sort of some other additions, uh, like extra, you know, uh, additions. But Al-Tanqih by Al-Mardawi is basically the Tanqih of Al-Muqna'. It is based on Al-Muqna'. And that is Muntah Al-Iradat. The, the other uh, book that is extremely important also, which we said that Aqna'a is the other one, Al-Aqna'a uh, mm. uh, was based on, uh, let us say, uh, mainly on Al-Mustawa'ib by Samurri, uh, who died about 616 after Hijra in Baghdad, one of the, you know, the, the later uh, Hanbali scholars in Baghdad because the Madhab left Baghdad after, you know, afterwards. Um, but uh, it, that, that, that book in Mustawa'ib and in Muharrar by Ibn Taymiyyah, that is the grandfather, that is Majd al-Din, Abdul Salam, uh, Ibn Abdullah, Ibn Muhammad, Ibn al-Khadr, Ibn Muhammad, Ibn Taymiyyah. Uh, those two books, uh, are basically the foundation of uh, the foundation of al-Iqna. Uh, uh, that is why, uh, if if you go back, you will uh, you will find that the what are the the, mm. the two uh, sheikhs that are called as sheikhan, the two sheikhs of the madhab, among the mutawassitin, the middle layer of the madhab. Uh, Al-Muwaffaq uh, ibn Qudama and Al-Majd uh, Abdul Salam ibn Taymiyyah, the grandfather. Mm. Uh, their sort of uh, their contributions uh, lasted up until today. And Al-Mardawi said, you know, for the Mutawassateen, mm. they did not say if Al-Muntaha and Al-Aqna agree, that's the position. For, you know, 
Mardawi said, you know, people in our times were dependent. Mardawi is the beginning the, the, of the mm. latter uh, generation of Hanbalis or the last generation of Hanbalis that continues until now. Uh, uh, when he's talking about uh, basically uh, people before him, then he's talking about the Mutawassateen. For the Mutawassateen, when Ibn Qudama and Ibn Taymiyyah, the grandfather, the agreed mm. on a position, that was it. That's the position. Okay, so what I'm getting from this is that the method begins in Iraq. The uh, Ummahats are brought together by Abu Bakr al-Khalal, Ghulam al-Khalal, and al-Khiraqi. And Mukhtasar al-Khiraqi, can you say it is Jam' al-Ummahat or Khulasat al-Ummahat? The Ummahats, just for the listeners out there, means the mother books of the Madhab. So uh, uh, the Imam, the Mujtahid Imam, he fathers this school of thought. But he oftentimes doesn't write everything down. And therefore, uh, his students and the second generation, they, have, they write things down. And then somebody comes and he gathers all of this together. We have, for example, Mudawanat Sahnun. We, in the Maliki Madhab, there is uh, Al-Asadiyah. There is, in Andalusia, there was Al-Utbiyah. And there are other books in Iraq and elsewhere. And in the Hanafi, Shafi, same thing. So here you have the students, they disseminate, and then someone takes like a, a qum'ah, a funnel, and he gathers all of this into one book. And you said that was Mukhtasar al-Khiraqi, pretty, pretty much is one of the best that, uh, that the Hanbali scholars began their work around Mukhtasar al-Khiraqi. Would that be correct to say? Uh, because the Hanbali school has its own uh, peculiarities also, uh, to, to a great extent, um, yeah, you know, so, so the person who collected everything would be al-Khalal, and then uh, the, the, you know, Mukhtasar uh, al-Khiraqi is a summary of this in the form of a matn, but mm. it has like 2,300 masail, you know, different fiqh issues, 2,300. Mm. Now, Muntah al-Iradat has 10,000, and Iqna has a little bit more than 10,000. So, Mukhtasar al-Khiraqi is not comprehensive. In addition to this, as in all the Madhahib, there are many positions in Mukhtasar al-Khiraqi which are not in Mu'tamad, in al-Madhahib. So, like, can we rely on Mukhtasar al-Khiraqi alone? Uh, of course not. Okay. Okay, but it is the uh, start, uh, the main, one of the big starting points, and it happens in Iraq. Now, we may be parting from our little chapterization, but that's fine because it's a conversation, not a book. And conversations are held by humans, and humans have a flow and wherever there is a fat from Allah, just go there. And so we may have a uh, uh, break from our uh, chapterization, which is not a problem. Um, the Madhab, you said the Mutawasateen, Ibn Qudama, and Ibn Taymiyyah al-Jad. You do call him Ibn Taymiyyah al-Jad, the same way we call Ibn Rushd al-Jad. Al-Majd, okay. Now, Al-Majd, if I'm not mistaken, they're both from Sham. So it seems now the madhab is in Syria, not in Iraq. And how did that historically, sh- how did that shift occur historically? Uh, 
So to give you like uh, like a few pointers about the the Sanad of the Madhab, uh, let's talk about Ibn Abi Ya'la, uh, or I'm sorry, let's talk about Abu Ya'la. Abu Ya'la himself okay. uh, was born in 380 and died in 458. 380 and died in uh, 458. Why, why? Why is that? Uh, he's a watershed figure in the Hanbali Madhab uh, because he is the beginning of the Mutawassateen and his teacher was the end of the earlier scholars, Al Hassan ibn Hamid, who died in 403 after the Hijra, was the end of the earlier scholars uh, or the early, early generation or the first generation. Um, and uh, uh, so, um, Imam Ahmad died in 241 after the Hijra. Uh, we had Al Jama'a, uh, you know, Imam Ahmad. People, a lot of people reported from Imam Ahmad, and a lot of people were uh, the students of Imam Ahmad. About they, you know, mentioned 500. They actually uh, named more than 100. 33 of them are more popular, more significant. Um, among the 33, we have seven people that are called the Jama'a. So when we say this is reported by the Jama'a, we do not mean the Jama'a as the scholars of Hadith uh, mean by the Jama'a. We mean by the Jama'a, uh, Salih and Abdullah, the children of Imam Ahmad, Rahimahumullah uh, Jami'an, and Hanbal. Uh, uh, and uh, that's the, the, the cousin of Imam Ahmad, and uh, we have then uh, three others, that is Al-Maymuni, Abu Talib, uh, and uh, Ibrahim Al-Harbi. So, uh, no, wait, wait a second. We have uh, Abdullah and the Saleh, and uh, we Hanbal. said Hanbal, that is three, not four. Uh, Abu Bakr al-Maruzi uh, certainly is the fourth, and then Abu Talib and al Maimouni and Ibrahim al-Harbi would be seven. Okay. Abu Bakr al-Maruzi is more important here because, uh, you know, like uh, more central in the Senate, Abu Bakr al-Maruzi, uh, rahimahullah, was the teacher of al-Khalal, the main teacher of al-Khalal. So Al-Khalal learned from Abu Bakr al-Maruzi as well as other scholars of uh, the Madhab in, in that uh, layer. And then Al-Khalal died in 311 uh, and died at the age of 78, uh, just like Abu Bakr al-Maruzi, who died also at the age of 78 just like Imam Ahmad, who died also Ajib. at the age of 78. Ajib. Yeah. Ajib. Uh, then Al-Khalal, uh, who learned from Al-Khalal? Abu Bakr Abdul Aziz, Ghulam Al-Khalal, or Al-Khalal's Al boy or uh, student. And he died, uh, he was actually young. Uh, but he was brilliant, so even Al-Khalal would listen to, uh, to him. 
He died in 363 after the Hijra, so he died 52 years after his uh, teacher, Al-Khalab, uh, at the age of 78 as well. SubhanAllah. How old are you, Sheikh? We have to ask. I mean, where are we going? How, how long does this chain of 78 go? <laughs> It does go far. It does go far because yeah. Abu Ya'la, uh, uh -huh. you know, I told you 380 to 458. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is 78. Unbelievable. That's really unbelievable. That's really so. If you die at seventy-eight, you're a real warith of the Hanbali Madhab. If you're a Hanbali scholar, that should be a alama, a stamp, <laughs> a bushra. <laughs> Subhanallah. Yeah, I, I tried to figure out if Al Hassan ibn Hamid, it, it, uh, the the uh, certainly Hassan ibn Hamid died, uh, you know, in four o three after the Hijra. Uh, the year he was born is not clear. So, but maybe he also died. So, then. We have not left Baghdad, by the way. We're, okay. we're going to be in Baghdad for quite some time. We're going okay. to be in Baghdad for uh, 400 years. Uh, so we have then uh, Al-Khalal, who uh, takes from, uh, you know, I'm, so, I'm sorry, we have Ghulam uh, Al-Khalal, Abu Bakr Abdul Aziz. Now, Abu Bakr Abdul Aziz died in 363. Uh, uh, he, he he was the main teacher of Al Hassan ibn Hamid. Al Hassan ibn Hamid is uh, very central in the Hanbali Madhab. Uh, the formulation of the Hanbali Madhab, the Tasis, the foundation of the Hanbali Madhab, depends to a great extent on Al Hassan ibn Hamid. Even to understand the vernacular of Imam Ahmad, you need Al Hassan ibn Hamid. He wrote Tahdib al Ajwaba, he wrote several books. Uh, you know, you, you can't call them usul books. Uh, you know, Abu Ya'la may be the first one to write a real usul book in the Hanbali Madhab, but to some extent they have an usuli sort of uh, flavor or uh, inclination. But you know, Imam Ahmad, uh, because of his wara, because of his scrupulosity and his extreme piety, he, and his, what I call epistemic humility, uh, he would not, uh, his, his, uh, his vernacular was very difficult to decipher. He would be asked a question, and then he had like 70, four, five, or six different mm -hmm. answers uh, that are difficult to, to decipher, and you, that's why you need the scholars of the madhab to, to, to basically uh, help in this respect. So, I don't like it, or, uh, you know, doesn't appeal to me. I don't favor that. There is no harm. Uh, they did that. I have not heard that. Uh, uh, I, I dislike that. I don't dare talk about that. Uh, like so many, so many uh, different uh, sort of terms that Imam Ahmad used. So uh, 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 Hassan Muhammad was very um, basically central in the mother because uh, he's one of the people who decided or, you know, 
the riwayat of Imam Ahmad, you know, Abu Ya'la, in one, uh, gathered about 13 different issues uh, about which Imam Ahmad had 10 different positions uh, about each one of them. Uh, so Al-Hasr ibn Hamid decided, uh, you know, certainly not, it's not certainly like a solo uh, decision, but, but Al-Hasr ibn Hamid articulated this, that we will keep all the riwayat of Imam and we will not basically dismiss any one of them until the Imam explicitly uh, dismissed it. But whatever riwayat we will have from him, we will not dismiss them. Uh, and we will not depend only on chronology. No. Uh, we'll just keep the riwayat of the Imam. And then he would uh, say that when Imam Ahmad says, uh, this means that this, uh, and then they would have like the, their disagreements also among themselves about the interpretation of the different uh, terms of the Imam. So Hassan ibn Hamid was the end of that uh, of the earlier scholars. Uh, this is Marha. You could say that this is the the, the phase or of or a foundation uh, of the Mashab. Uh, then came Abu Ya'la. Abu Ya'la came after al Hassan ibn Hamid. Direct student. Direct. Yes. Okay. 380 was born, Abu Ya'la. Abu Ya'la. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, yes. Uh, so al Hassan ibn Hamid, 403, died. Mm -hmm. uh, not only, so you could say that he was only 23 years old. Mm -hmm. When al Hassan ibn Hamid, when they asked al Hassan ibn Hamid, uh, who should be teaching after you? He said, Zalik al that young man. Uh, so uh, Abu Ya'la was already very prominent before al Hassan. He, uh, he was going to Hajj, and that's when they asked him, you know, oh. you know, Hajj, uh, during their time, it was not necessarily, you know, sometimes it was a perilous journey. Uh, uh, so they would ask him, you know, who should be teaching or who, whom should we listen to or something like this. And then he uh, referred them to Abu Ya'la. So Abu Ya'la then became the first one who, uh, you know, uh, was called Shaykh al-Mazhab. Mm. Uh, and uh, then from 380 to 458, uh, Abu Ya'la lived. And uh, Abu Ya'la um uh, that the, the students of Abu Ya'la are Ibn Aqil, who died in 513, Sahab al Funun, Sahab Kitab al Funun. And and he is, you know, uh, like a major, major uh, figure because Kitab al Funun comes, you know, what, what may be the biggest book ever written. In the uh, in Islamic literature, it was 150 volumes. Uh, maybe the yeah, Al Funun by Ibn Aqiyah. Uh, he was a prolific writer, like Ibn Al Jawzi. Him and Ibn Al Jawzi, the two uh, were extremely prolific writers. Ibn Al Jawzi may be the most prolific writer in our history. Uh, 500 plus books, 66 of them are uh, published. Uh, 160 plus of them uh, manuscripts are, are existent as manuscripts and the other ones we don't know about them. 
But Abu Yala, uh, you know, uh, taught, you know, was the teacher of Ibn Aqil, died in 513. Uh, uh, an, a very important figure uh, in the madhab because the Senate of the madhab goes through him, Al-Kalwazani, uh, Abu al-Khattab, Mahfouz al-Kalwazani, and then you have some other figures that may not be as famous, but they are very important that learned from Abu Ya'la as well. We have we have uh, Ibn Jalaba, uh, who uh, became Abu Ya'la's appointee, or uh, 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 because Abu Ya'la was uh, ju the judge uh, during the uh, time of. So Abu Ya'la was uh, the Qadi who appointed other Qadis, and that is basically a very uncommon phenomenon in the Hanbali Madhab, because one of the reasons why the Madhab did not spread is, there are many reasons, but, uh, but the fact that they were particularly averse to uh, official positions and, you know, Qada and, and, and so on and so forth. But Abu Ya'ala was, was, was not. And he appointed Ibn Jalaba in Harran, that is, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, we know Ibn Tamim, Sahab al-Mukhtasar, and we know Al-Taymiyyah, the family of, uh, the Taymiyyah family, all of them are from Harran, which is in Turkey, Turkey now. So it is somewhere in that sort of triangle between Iraq, Turkey, and Syria. Uh, Haran belongs in that triangle, so Baghdad was close to them. So uh, he was the first one to take the Mazhab, Ibn Jalaba was the first one to take the Mazhab to Haran. And then we will come back to Haran maybe later. He was the first one to take the Mazhab to Haran. Now, Abul Faraj al-Shirazi was another student of uh, Abu Ya'la. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, I, I'm just removing the titles for ease, but all of them are my imams, and certainly may Allah uh, have mercy on them all. Uh, so I'm not out of disrespect, but I'm just for ease, because uh, yeah. we're mentioning a lot of names. So, uh, so Abul Faraj al-Shirazi, was another student of Abu Ya'la. Abu al-Faraj al-Shirazi, you, know, uh, you know, Ibn Jalab died in 476. Abu, Abu al-Faraj al-Shirazi died in 486, and he is the one to take the mazhab to Asham. Uh, you know, Al-Qudama, uh, um, that's another family. We have like Al Tamiya, we have Al Qudama, we have Al Ibn Abdul Hadi, we have uh, also Al Mirdawi, uh, we have Bayt al Hanbali, which are the children of Abu al Faraj al Shirazi. Uh, we have certain families that are very known to have Hanbalis uh, mm -hmm. one after another. We have uh, Ibn Manda, the whole family of Ibn Manda. We have six uh, Ibn Manda 
uh, that were Hanbali and uh, the like six generations they were all muhaddis uh, and uh, in the madhab so uh, then Abu al-Faraj al-Shirazi took that madhab to uh, Jerusalem Jamma'il uh, is of, in the outskirts of Jerusalem. That is where Ibn Qudama comes from. Qudama uh, uh, ibn Maqdam ibn Nasr, the grandfather of Ibn Qudama, mm. heard of Abu Faraj al-Shirazi uh, arriving in town. He said mm. to his brother, he said to his brother, let us go and have this uh, good sheikh make dua for us. Mm. And they went. So his brother was too shy, so he didn't ask the sheikh to make dua for him. Uh, 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 you know, Ibn Maqdam, the grandfather of, you know, the famous Ibn Qudama, although many Ibn Qudamas should be famous, uh, but the grandfather of Al Muwaffaq. Um, said to the said to Sheikh Abu Farid al-Shirazi, make dua for me to memorize the Quran. Mm. And he made dua for him. And he uh, became a memorizer of the Quran. His uh, son now will become the, the, the khatib and the sort of the main teacher in the masjid of Jamai. Until you know, uh, the, 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 the fights with the Crusaders and so on, and many Hanbalis participated with Salah al-Din, including the family, the Qudama family, and Nasah uh, ibn al-Hanbali, and, and many Hanbalis participated in the liberation of Jerusalem and liberation of many other, uh, may Allah liberate it once again. Amen. Uh, so, uh, uh, because the the, the, Salibi, the the pressure on them by the Salibin was increasing, they migrated. Ahmad ibn Qudama migrated. He took his uh, children, that is, you know, Al Muwaffaq and his brother Abu Omar, uh, who is also like a, a very important uh, figure. Uh, in in the in the madhab because he took care of the Qudama uh, ibn you know ibn Qudama family or the family of Qudama the children of Qudama he took them and they migrated to Damascus mm. uh, and then the family the, the, then we may come later to talk about you know the the sort of the Hanbalis in uh, Damascus, because that became the most important stronghold of the masjid, uh, of, I'm sorry, of the madhab uh, for centuries. All of the, you know, we're branching off from Abu Ya'la here. And yeah. if, you know, although Osman ibn Marzuq was the first Hanbali to step foot, uh, like known Hanbali, to step foot in Egypt, and of course he was from Baghdad. Uh, there is no doubt that he learned under Abu Yala, but the, the but he was known 
to be particularly a student of Sheikh Abdul Wahab, the, the, the son of Sheikh Abdul Qadir al-Jilani, and he was more drawn to tasawwuf than fiqh, although he was a faqih as well. Mm -hmm. So when he went to Egypt, Suyuti rahimahullah does not even mention him as the first Hanbali mm. who, uh, you know, Suyuti talked about Al-Hafiz uh, Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi. I don't know if he mentioned him or he was more concerned about the first former Hanbali teacher in Egypt because it was Muhammad ibn Ibrahim al-Jamma'ili was the first the main Hanbalian teacher. He died around 600, um, 676, uh, 641, Ayyub ibn al-Kamil al-Ayyubi started a Salihiyya school in, in, in Egypt. And you know that Egypt prior to this was dominated by uh, a Shi'i dynasty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, the, you know, so the Ayyubis changed this and the, the sort of Egypt returned. Egyptians themselves never actually became. Uh, mm. Yes, go ahead. I have a question. I would like you to rewind maybe just uh, two, one minute or so of uh, the name of the one, the first Hanbali in Egypt and who he branched off of. So Uthman ibn Marzouk was the first Hanbali to like known figure, uh, known Hanbali figure to visit Egypt. His known teacher was Sheikh Abdul Wahab, the son of Sheikh Abdul Qadir al-Jilani. Uh, however, he left. He lived in Baghdad during the same time for a Hanbali to to basically not learn from Abu Yala, even if it is not. Uh, uh, documented, uh, we I presume that he must have learned under Abu Yala. But I just uh, you know to be honest, I you know I don't I did, don't find this documented necessarily. Okay. But he was the and and, and certainly Sheikh Abdul Qadir is a main figure in the Madhab as well, and and uh, certainly he is part of the Senate of the Madhab. We'll come to this, uh, but Sheikh Osman ibn Marzouk. He was more drawn to Tasawwuf, so he was not particularly mentioned as the first Hanbali to come to Egypt. What who, the one who was mentioned by you know uh, by Imam Suti rahimahullah is Muhammad ibn Ibrahim al Jamaidi because he was the first Hanbali teacher in the Salihiyya, that school that was started by Najm al Din al Ayyubi to teach the four Sunni Madhahab. But before him, Al-Hafiz Abdul Ghani Al-Maqdisi, the cousin of Al-Muwaffaq Ibn Qudama Al-Maqdisi, uh, had visited Egypt. Uh, but uh, he was, you know, he did not particularly settle in Egypt and have his uh, school in Egypt. Uh, so basically, from the time of Abu Ya'la, we have seedings of the madhab that started to spread to three different uh, locations, Harran, Asham, uh, which, you know, it, we'll just call it Asham because Bayt al-Maqdis, yeah, yeah. Tulkarm, uh, you know, Palestine, Syria, all of these, uh, all of this area, not particularly one town, but many towns in Asham, 
and Egypt uh, is the is the third one, and then uh, so Abu Yala, you know, Mahfouz, uh, you know, Imam Abu Khattab and Ibn Aqil and uh, these three different people that took the madhab uh, far away from. Uh, Baghdad, but mm. also an important figure, Abu Bakr al-Dainuri. Abu Bakr al-Dainuri, as a student of Abu Yala, uh, became the teacher of a very important figure in the Madhab, who is Abu al-Fatih al-Manni, uh, between five, you know, Abu al-Fatih al-Manni between 501 and 583. Uh, Abu al-Fatih al-Manni is not particularly, although he wrote uh, a, a book in al-Khilaf al-Ali or, or a comparative fiqh, uh, but he was not, nothing survived uh, and he was not particularly drawn to writing, he was drawn to teaching. And then he taught uh, Many people, he was the main teacher in Baghdad during his time, you know, after that generation of uh, Abu al-Khattab and Ibn Aqil and, uh, you know, that generation, he was the main teacher in Baghdad. Certainly, Sheikh Abdul Qadir was present and was teaching also, uh, but Sheikh Abdul Qadir, because of his emphasis on Tasawwuf, uh, you know, I think Abu al-Fatih al-Manni was more dedicated to Hanbali fiqh uh, and to teaching Hanbali uh, fiqh. Although all of them were balanced, and you know, I would presume that Sheikh Abu al-Fatih al-Manni also did not neglect uh, tasawwuf for anything, but uh, but everyone has their own strengths and. Uh, uh, interest also. So, but Sheikh Abu Fatih al-Manni is, is extremely important because when Sheikh uh, al-Muwaffaq came to Baghdad uh, from Damascus when he was 19, Sheikh al-Muwaffaq was born in 541 after the Hijra of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, died in 620. So he went to, to Baghdad uh, around 560. He was 19 years old. He was able to catch Sheikh Abdul Qadir, rahimahullah, only 40 years prior to his departure. May Allah, may Allah have mercy on them all. So. Uh, so certainly he spent that time with Sheikh Abdul Qadir, and Sheikh Abdul Qadir treated them very well, of course, you know, because of Muwaffaq, even at age 19, you know, he was brilliant, uh, and so certainly Sheikh Abdul Qadir would treat anyone very well, but, uh, but also Muwaffaq and, and Al-Hafiz Abdul Ghani Al-Maqdisi, who was his companion in that journey, uh, were uh, brilliant. Now, after Sheikh Abdul Qadir uh, died, Al-Muwaffaq uh, and uh, Sheikh Abdul Ghani, they started to uh, learn from other people in Baghdad. One of the main people they learned from, or the main people that they learned from, were 
Abul Faraj ibn al-Jawzi, but, but the one who was most dedicated to the Hanbali Mazhab because Abul Faraj ibn al-Jawzi has varied interests, like, mm. you know, extremely varied interests. But the one who was most dedicated to the Hanbali Mazhab was Abul Fath al-Manni. Mm. Um, so they learned under him. Uh, now, who else learned under him? Uh, uh, Abu Bakr Muhammad ibn al-Hallawi uh, learned under him, uh, you know, Abu Fath al-Manni. And who learned under Abu Bakr Muhammad ibn al-Hallawi? Uh, Al-Majd, you know, ibn Taymiyyah. Uh, I say the grandfather because, uh, you know, uh, I guess people from outside the Madhab, they may relate to this. Ibn Rushd al-Hafid ibn Rushd. So, so the, Al, Al Majd uh, uh, learned under Al, Al Halawi, and um, and therefore the, you find someone like Ibn Rajab, uh, rahimahullah, also saying um, that Al, Al Majd, uh, that that Abu Fath ibn Al Manni, uh, he 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 has. Uh, a favor on every Hanbali that came after him. Subhanallah. Because uh, the two sheikhs of the Madhab, that is Al Majd ibn Taymiyyah and uh, Ibn Qudama, Qudama uh, were his teachers directly or through someone else. Uh, and then from Ibn Qudama, like, you know, Al Taymiyyah, for instance, the, the, the famous uh, Imam Ibn Taymiyyah. Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he learned the Madhab from Ibn Abi Umar, who is uh, Ibn, who is Al Muwafaq Ibn Qudama's nephew. Mm. Al Muwafaq Ibn Qudama would be his uncle. Abu Umar is the brother of Al Muwafaq Ibn Qudama. Ibn Abi Umar, Abdul Rahman, is the uh, basically. Uh, the nephew of Al Muwafaq ibn Qudama and the student, the main student of Al Muwafaq ibn Qudama, who wrote Al Sharh al Kabir, the great commentary on Al Muqna' by his uncle Ibn Qudama. He, he, uh, he was uh, the main teacher of the, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, the grandson. In addition to Ibn Taymiyyah's father, Abdul Halim, Shihab al Din, uh, the, the two are his main uh, teachers of uh, the Madhab. Uh, and then uh, the, the Madhab continued to blossom through, you know, Al Qudama, uh, uh, Ibn Abdul Hadi. Al Mardawi, Al Bayt Al Hambali, Al Munajja, up until now, and then there are different, uh, basically, uh, directions. Where did it come? To, when did it come to next? Mm. First, I have a question. Then, before we get to next, Abu Al Fath Al Manni. You, major figure, then we go Al-Hallawi, 
Al-Majz ibn Taymiyyah. Al-Majz ibn Taymiyyah, we said it's from Harran. He does the Majd travel to Baghdad or does Halawi go to Harran? Al-Majd travels to Baghdad. Okay. Yes. So Baghdad is still the hub of the Hanafis at the time. Okay. Uh, Baghdad is still the center, the, you know, and the, the weight shifted, the weight shifted from Baghdad in the middle of the seventh century uh to Haran for a short period of time but quickly thereafter to Damascus well let us say you know uh you know Haran did not really become because the the, the most important family in Haran was the Taimian family and they themselves left for Damascus so the Taimian family, Baghdad, uh, basically was conquered by the Tatars in 656. Baghdad fell to the Tatars. Mm -hmm. uh, the Taimian family, the family of Ibn Taymiyyah left uh, Haran um, 668. Okay to Damascus. Uh, the, the, the Ibn Taymiyyah grandfather at the time was uh, six or seven years old. Uh, and he moved with uh, his father, Abdul Halim, to Damascus. Al-Majd had already died. He died, rahimahullah, in 652. Um, that's before the fall of Baghdad. Maybe Allah did not want him to hear the bad news. Mm -hmm. But uh, but that is the so so Harran was really never uh, like uh, for it, it was like a, a major place uh, because as I said, Ibn Jalaba is the first one that is the, the student of Abu Ya'la himself uh, to bring it to Harran, uh, but. But Haran, from the time of Ibn Jalaba, became um, sort of uh, a very Hanbali place. Like the main, uh, sort of the, the main master that Haran would be uh, sort of, yeah, the, the Imam of the main master of Haran, the Qada, al-Dawla Nuriya, the Nuri dynasty. Uh, but it is in that triangle uh, that. Uh, Okay. Syria, Turkey, Iraq. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Abdul Halim, the son of Al Majd and the father of Ibn Taymiyyah, he is in Harran and he learns from his father who had traveled to Baghdad, went back to Harran, taught his son, then passed away. Then his son, Abdul Halim, traveled to Damascus, where the uh, his son, Ibn Taymiyyah, was able to study with the nephew. Yeah, they're all Ibn Taymiyyah. Yeah, the Ibn Taymiyyah was able to study uh, with Ibn Abi Umar, the nephew of Muwaffaq al-Din Ibn Qudama, and that's his main teacher, his father and his uh, Ibn Abi Umar. No, 
true that we 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 try as much as we can to to like to have a grasp of this, but but certainly it is a lot more complicated. They have a lot more messiah than this. Yeah, Each of course. One of, of them course. can name two hundred, three hundred. Yeah, uh, the yeah. different mashayikh, but we're trying to simplify things. For instance, Al-Fakhr ibn Taymiyyah, who is the, the uncle of Al-Majd ibn Taymiyyah, was the first, uh, sort of like, was the first heavyweight person from the Taymiyyah family, not Al-Majd. Al-Fakhr ibn Taymiyyah died in 622 after the Hijrah, and he was the first, and he he's Ma'adud fil mufassirin, and he is considered a mufassir and a faqih, and and so on. And he was certainly also Hambari. So Al-Majd uh, learned under Al-Fakhr, and Al-Fakhr also visited Baghdad and also learned directly from Abu Al-Fatih Al-Manni. Ajib. Um, Ibn Taymiyyah, uh, Taym is a tribe uh, from the Quraysh. Uh, is that Ibn Taymiyyah deriving from Taym? So, uh, you know, uh, Taymiyyah was the, the name of his grand, uh, great-grandmother. So, you know, his name okay. would be, uh, so his name would be uh, Taqid Din, Ahmad Ibn Shahab Din, Abdul Halim Ibn Majd Din, Abdul Salam Ibn Abdullah, Ibn Muhammad, Ibn al-Khadr, uh, Ibn Muhammad, Ibn Taymiyyah. Uh, and she's... Uh, I'm so sorry, I may, I may have added one Muhammad. Allah, Ibn al-Khadr, Ibn Muhammad, Ibn Taymiyyah. Her father uh, was making Hajj uh, and he crossed, either crossed Wadi Taymiyyah or saw a girl called Taymiyyah on his way back from Hajj. His uh basically uh his wife was pregnant came back she delivered and he called her taymiyyah she became a faqiha she became known and they, they did not have a stigma about uh you know calling the the child after the mother the Okay, for I had always thought that it's uh, Nasab that she was a woman from the tribe of Taim. No, okay. that is that is her name because her father coming back from Hajj, he either saw a girl in Wadi Taimah or saw a girl called the Taimiyah. Uh, I see. Okay. Came back and named her this. Uh, Imam Ahmad's mother, his her, her name is Safiya bint Maymuna Shaybaniya. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. Uh, so she was named. After her mother, too. I see. Because Maimuna was a prominent figure, daughter of a prominent figure, Abdul Malik Shaybani. So uh, they didn't have a, they didn't have an issue with that. Okay, good. I've uh, I ran out of one page. Now next page. Syria. How many years, centuries, to Nejd? Where? How, how? Give us that history. You spend time in Syria for a couple centuries, then it's going to go to Nej. Tell us about this history. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's not there. There is a huge overlap uh, because of course, yeah. you know, uh, up until the 14th century, there was a good presence for the uh, Sheikh Ahmad Shami Dumi, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, is a contemporary 
uh, a major Hanbali figure from a major Hanbali family, uh, but he had to learn the Madhab al-Hanafi because uh, the empire, you know, that yeah. formalities and, and so on. Uh, but uh, but for in Syria, uh, then you have in every generation, like in the eighth century, you have people like uh, so a lot of people in the eighth century, you know. Nasah ibn al-Hambali, you have all the Taymiyyans, and you have the uh, Ibn Rajab, and you have Ibn Qayyim, and you have many Hanbali figures. Eighth century is full of Hanbali figures. Uh, in the ninth century, there were all, also uh, many of them, uh, you know, uh, uh, you will have uh, people like Ibn Muflih, the, 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 the grandson, uh, because we have Ibn Muflih, the, the direct student of Ibn Taymiyyah, uh, and we have Ibn Muflih, the, the, the grandson or great-grandson of the direct student of Ibn Taymiyyah, Burhan, uh, Dean Ibrahim Ibn Muflih. Uh, he is the author of Al-Mubda, Sharh Al-Muqna', and an important figure, and he uh, marks the end of Al-Mutawassateen last person among the Mutawassateen died in 884. Mm. Any Anyone who died in 884 or before, that is Mutawassateen. Ala al-Din al-Mardawi, his contemporary, we call him Mutakhirin, although he died 885. But mm. you will have to pick a year anyway, so where, yeah. whatever year you pick it. So, so during this time, we have major Hanbali, we have Ibn Mardawi, you know, he, 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 he is the one um, who basically uh, put it all together in his, in, in his books, uh, he, you know. So if Ibn Muflih uh, wrote the Meknasa of the Madhab or the Broom of the Madhab, call it Meknasa al-Madhab al-Furu' by Ibn Muflih, the grandfather, uh, because it brings in all the reports in the madhab. Uh, so if, if you want to look for all the reports of, of the madhab, aside from the, 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 the larger books of the Mutawassateen, but you will go to Ibn Muflih and Al-Furu'a. But when it comes to Al-Mardawi, not only that in Al-Insaf he mentioned the different reports, but he also tells you that this would be the madhab this is the stronger position in the madhab based on his meta-analysis of 140 books of the madhab. That he was working with 140 books in the madhab, and then he will bring, uh, he will uh, to, to basically say, this is the stronger uh, position in the madhab, in and insaf. And he's the one who wrote the tanqih, uh, and he, he, he is also, when it comes to Usul, uh, he is the one who wrote the Tahrir, uh, because Usul is a completely different story from the time of uh, you know, Hassan ibn Hamid and then Abu Ya'la and Abu Khattab and so on. But and Ibn Qudama, of course, because the, our most important book on Usul, we should call it Raudat al-Nazir. Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly, uh, Ibn Qudama benefited a lot from Al-Ghazali, Rahimahumullah Ta'ala, Allah have mercy on them both, uh, from Al-Mustasfa. Uh, uh, so, 
الإمام ابن قدامة you know, relied a lot on المستصفى بالإمام الغزالي in his روضة الناظر but still it is you know, he adjusted you know, روضة الناظر to be a Hanbali book and they, they did that, they crossed the line you know, to benefit from each other, so it's not a problem. Um, uh, uh, so Raudat al-Nazir, and then the Ikhtisar by Tufi, and then the Sharh by Tufi, these are very important books, usul-wise, but al-Mardawi wrote at tahrir which is a very important usul book, that was summarized in Al Kawkab al Munir by Ibn Najjar, the Egyptian, and Ibn Najjar also wrote Sharh, which is the commentary on that Mukhtasar or summary of Tahrir. So Al Mardawi. And then in the 10th century, you also have very prominent figures in the Madhab in the 10th century, like Yusuf ibn Abd al Hadi, Ibn al Mibrad, for instance. Uh, a, a very prolific writer, uh, Yusuf ibn Abdul Hadi, uh, and uh, when, it, when it comes to the sort of the Sufi tradition uh, within the Madhab from Sheikh Abdul Qadir al Jilani, it, it comes through uh, Sheikh uh, Yusuf ibn Abdul Hadi. Uh, and then uh, you would have uh, the very famous and prominent Al-Hajjawi and Ibn al-Najjar. Uh, one died 968 and one died 972. Al-Hajjawi 968, Ibn al-Najjar 972. Shuwaiki in Medina al-Munawwara at the time was also a prominent figure of the Madhab, but the Madhab did not really have a stronghold in, in Medina. Uh, uh, so uh, we have the, the, those, and then um, later in the 11th century, we have uh, also major figures that were still, you know, n now from the 10th century, uh, uh, even from the 9th century, we were having a heavier presence in Egypt, but still Sham would still heavy, very heavy. Uh, maybe the 11th century the starts, you know, Egypt starts to basically, uh, particularly after Hajjawi died in 968, you know, because when Hajjawi died in 968, Ibn Najjar died four years after Hajjawi. But people mm -hmm. then, you know, if you know the most important figure in the Madhab lives in Egypt, for yeah. the for that window. You know, the four years people would now travel to Egypt, Ibn Najjar, and then that is why you know the the father of Al Buhuti, what you know, certainly was from Egypt, from Buhut, from the Harbiya, Egypt, and then came Al Buhuti, Sheikh Mansour Ibn Yunus Al Buhuti, who has, who is an extremely central figure in the Madhab, in in Egypt, who. Uh, was born in the year 1000, interestingly, and died in 1051. Mm. That's Sheikh Mansour. Uh, we have Sheikh Mar'i, he was there and still in Sham, but moved to Egypt also. Uh, so he, when Sheikh Mar'i moved to Egypt, 
now you have a Sheikh Marai who died in 1033. You have a Sheikh Mansour ibn Yunus So you you certainly have the sort of the the, the center of uh, the Hambari center the, moving to uh, to Egypt. Mm. Um, and uh, but uh, Sham we still continued. We had a Safarini, for instance, 12th century Sheikh Muhammad ibn Ahmad Safarini, 12th century, 1122 he he died. Uh, and he is certainly like uh, a major figure uh, 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 in the Madhab and and others. We up until the Sheikh Abdul Qadir ibn Badran, uh, Sheikh Abdul Qadir ibn Badran uh, basically crossed to the 13th and 14th century. Um, yeah, Sheikh Abdul Qadir died. Uh, in 13, uh, hmm. thanks, Sheikh Abdul Qadir. I'm, I'm blocking, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm having a mental block here. But Sheikh Abdul Qadir, Abdul Qadir died approximately 90 years ago. So we're talking about a very sort of in Shem. And is his lineage still carrying uh, the madhab? He's the writer. No, he does not come from one of those mm. families. Uh, Sheikh Abdul Qadir does not come. Sheikh Abdul Qadir ibn Badran does not come from one of those families, but certainly he learned under all of them. And he is the one who wrote in Madhal, uh, which is uh, like an important book to, like, uh, to mm. you know, learn about the Hanbali madhab. Okay, so where are we with Nejd in this picture? Why and why? What why Nejd? What's what happened that caused th that part of Arabia to become a place of of uh, Hanbali study? Well, uh, you know, we have uh, people like Ibn Humaydan, Ibn Atwa. Ibn Musharraf, uh, Zamal ibn Sultan, uh, all those people, they went either to Ashram or Egypt to study. Uh, because Najd was not like a center of learning at the time. Uh, that is from the uh, basically uh, 10th century. In the middle of the 10th century, Ibn Atwa was there and studied under al Hajjawi. Uh, from the middle of the 10th century. And then uh, they continued to go to Hashem until they started to go to Egypt. Like I said, when the center mm. shifted, like Osman ibn Qa'id in Najdi, for instance, he was the student of al Khalwati in Egypt and certainly an important figure in the Madhab, who is the student, not only the student, but also the nephew and the son in law of al-Buhuti, Sheikh Mansour ibn Yunus al-Buhuti. Um, so, so Zamal ibn Sultan ibn Musharraf ibn Atwa ibn Humaydan, uh, they uh, basically took the madhab to Najd and then it started to have a stronghold in Najd until the, you know, uh, the first Saudi, the oldest, the sort of the Saudi dynasties, uh, have basically uh, uh, 
adopted this. Adopted I want uh, the listeners out there to, con- to, to reflect on this, what we just did in the last 35, 40 minutes of giving basic, you know, at least an overview of where the Medhub is, who carries it, who transmits it, literally person to person, until we got to Syria, and then we just looked at some names. But this is something that's unique to the Deen of Islam, in that this idea that we're able to trace back our ideas from living person to living person to living person, all the way back to Amujtahid, who obviously took it, and it goes back to the Messenger wasallam. That's the reason that we did this, is for people to realize and see that Islam is ultimately, it's a lived religion that is, uh, uh, is transmitted from human being to human being. By Mumarasa, by spending a lot of time with that scholar or with that uh, uh, imam. And then, of course, as we said, you spend time with a lot of scholars and you spend time with a lot of imams. Someone could spend 30 years with an imam, another person could spend 30 days and benefit more. But all that stuff aside, point being is that we have asanid, and that's what uh, protects uh, our religion from being corrupted in ways that would completely derail it and take it way off of the, uh, you know, its original course. And it's also a way for us to define what the ideas mean. For example, we said here we have Imam Ahmed, Dan al-Marudi, and who are, these are the Imams of the Madhab. It's It has an individual founder, and then gen, every generation will, not in a formal fashion, but in an informal fashion, there will come a consensus that there are the Akabir, there are the leaders and the imma and the sada of that madhab that represent it. Okay? Right away we said the jama'ah was seven. Right? Out of all the students, seven leaders. And then it went down and then every generation you had the leadership. We said Al-Majd and Ibn Qudama at one point were the leadership. Okay? And so that's very important for keeping something, a set of ideas stable. Right? Because you're able to at every moment say well, what do the leaders say that you have a, a movement with leaders is not like a so loose that it has no leaders now here I want to bring up I want to move from the Senate which we covered very well at the moment.